morning, folks. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at what it means to be wholehearted from three verses in the Old Testament that can appear obscure at first glance, but they're certainly not. Someone once said, nothing great is ever achieved without enthusiasm. Uh, we, we, can, we can all think of, I'm sure, um, of, of people who've given their whole life to something in a way that is really inspiring. Perhaps they've affected all of those around them, inspired those around them. Perhaps they've changed the nation. People who've really made a difference. And we can, we can ask ourselves, wouldn't it be great if we ran after our dreams with such wholeheartedness? For me, probably the easiest way of imagining this is to, is to think of really great, dedicated sports people who, who give it their all. But that's probably just, uh, that's probably just me as a, as a way of connecting with, with these folks who achieve great things because they are wholehearted. But, but wholeheartedness can sometimes um, cause us to be a bit wary of people. Wholehearted people can sometimes be a little bit odd. A couple of weeks ago I preached and I broke all the rules because, um, oh gosh, Mike's here, he's going to hear this. Mike, I had ten points. I broke every rule and I'm going to break the rules again today because I've got a joke. And telling jokes when you're preaching is a really naff idea. But it's such a naff joke, it'll probably land with you. I love bacon and eggs. That's not a joke, that's true. And it's probably not a surprise to you. And I suspect there's lots of you that love bacon and eggs. But let's just think about the detail. The chicken is really committed to the project, isn't she? You know where this is going. But the pig, that's wholehearted. It's a bit over the top, really, isn't it? It's kind of freaky bacon. But we can be like that. We can, we can, I'm sure we can all think of people whose wholeheartedness is a little bit scary. I've got this nemesis at, at, at Ben's Cricket Club, where, where, where I'm the chairman. This guy puts hours and hours and hours in. He's regularly there at 4am to water the grass. And he's a perfectionist. And he never lets up. And he expects everyone else to be the same. You know that old expression, it's his way or the highway. And his wholeheartedness is impressive, but actually he frightens as many people away as he encourages. You see, wholehearted people are inspiring, but there's a bit of a tension not to be like my friend at the cricket club. Not too extreme or too odd as we strive to make a difference to people around us. We can perhaps look at our children and think, wouldn't it be great if you made a real difference in your lives? Just don't be too extreme because it can be a bit odd. And that can sometimes cause us to hold back a little bit. Yeah, we can sometimes think of our kids yeah, it'd be great if you made a difference to the world around you, but don't appear too extreme, too odd. And we can think about ourselves in the same way when it comes to the things of God. We're gonna, if you've got a Bible, do you want to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19? 
And we're going to look at Elisha and Elijah, and I'll probably get their names mixed up all the way through, but that won't really matter. Uh, And we're going to consider how being wholehearted for God is the greatest thing we can give our lives to. And that it won't ever cause us to appear odd. Now, Now, God's prophets were his mouthpiece of communication with the people. God spoke to the prophets and the prophets passed it on to the nation. Now, we don't need prophets in that same way, do we? To hear what God's got to say, because we've got the Bible, we've got God's word. And equally, we've got the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to hear God for ourselves. Elisha as a successor, as the next prophet. Let's, let's just read just verse 19 of chapter 19. It says this. So he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So right at the start, we see that God had his call on the life of Elisha. God pointed out this specific person who he had called. We find him hard at work. He was probably probably quite a wealthy farmer because he had 12 oxen. He was minding his own business. He was working hard. And then walking across the field comes this well-known man in the nation who he probably immediately recognised at a distance, coming towards him, was Elijah. And without saying a word, <laughs> there were no introductions, no explanations. He just walked up to Elisha and he threw this heavy animal skin over him. A little bit of a strange thing if that happened to you at work. But in a moment, God stepped in and he arrested Elisha. God hadn't spoken to him, he hadn't warned him, but he had a call on his life. And God broke in in that instance. Life would never be the same again. And he knew it because God had called him. It was like, you know, you all watch the Commonwealth Games. I love the relay races at the end. The baton is passed. And it was like the baton being passed from one generation to the next. And in that culture, Elisha would have immediately known what these actions meant. He would have known the call of God on his life, that there was a succession plan that had been enacted. He would have known that that animal skin being thrown over his shoulders was the anointing of God coming upon him. And then in verse 20, We read, and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again. But what have I done to you? So we find the response of Elisha. The initial response doesn't seem unreasonable to me. This came out of the blue. Suddenly he was being called to drop everything. And start a new life. To be prophet to the nation. Well that's fine. But can I go and say goodbye to my mum and dad? 
Can I put my things in order? Can I sort stuff out? That, that seems reasonable enough to me. But Elijah clearly saw something in the younger man's heart that was a bit askew, that troubled him, that he wasn't impressed with. So he comes back and he says, forget it. It's probably best that we forget this. So what, what caused that reaction? Did he, did, he dissect, did, did he detect sadness at what he would have to leave behind in his pursuit of God? Was there a sense of counting the cost? Well, okay, I'll do it. But look at what I've got to leave, give up and leave behind. Was there a heaviness of heart? Not disobedience, but just perhaps a little bit of reluctance, a little bit of holding back. And then in verse 21, and he returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them and he boiled the flesh with the yokes of the oxen and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So Elijah's, Elijah, El, got it wrong. Elisha's second response is worthy of note. When surprise situations arise that catch us off guard, our initial reaction can be a bit off the cuff. I'm aware, I'm preaching to myself, I'm aware that I often respond off the cuff and it's often not my best response. But the mature second response is thought through, where he paused for breath. And that helped him make sure that he didn't miss something really important. Maturity is often about realising that that initial response may not be the best one, but we need to evaluate the situation, to pray about it, to ponder on it, to think it through. And we may respond differently. Elisha did go back to his family. But something had to have changed in his heart. And to have changed in his heart for good in that moment. He had the humility to recognise that his initial response to what God had said to God's calling wasn't the right one. His heart had shifted. He realised that something important, he realised that this was something important that he didn't want to miss. What he did was not just say goodbye or put his business in order. He killed the oxen. He smashed the ploughs. He put on a huge feast. This wasn't saying goodbye. It was cutting his ties from the past and from all that had anchored him in the past. The past wasn't going to shape him any longer. The past wasn't going to hold him back any longer from pursuing all that God wanted him to be and to do. His heart focus changed from, I don't want to leave this all behind, God. But if you're in this, I will. To, I want to celebrate what you've called me to. And I want to make sure that the past doesn't hold me back. There was a shift in a moment inside him. 
Had he been looking to his family and his work for emotional security rather than looking to God? Maybe in a moment he thought, I need to act decisively to deal with all of this, to make sure I pursue everything that God has for me and that I don't miss this. He acted radically. He destroyed what had meant so much to him. And he moved from begrudging obedience to celebration. So, okay, that's, that's a lovely story. Um, but no one's going to throw an animal skin over me at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So what on earth has that got to do with me? That's what you're asking, isn't it? Well, the truth is, God, God's call is going out across the world right now to everyone. We're all being called by God to one degree or another. The call from heaven is constant. Those of you that live in lower stuff, they're really blessed because your mobile phone signal is constant. But for us out in the sticks, it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. But that's not what the call of God is like. It's constant. We know some, some, some so well-known verses. John 3.16. The call is for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. In Jeremiah 29, it says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. That call is going out from God right now to follow his son, Jesus. There might not be a hairy animal skin, but God is calling us to follow him. His call is on all of us to be on this adventure with him. The last words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 28 were, go into the world and make disciples. Baptise people in the spirit and in water. Teach them all that I've done. And that's the same call that's on us today. He's saying to all of us right now, join with me in spreading the good news about my kingdom. In seeing sickness go in my name. In seeing people held captive by emotional and spiritual chains set free. Join me in advancing the kingdom. That's a call on each one of us. Being a Christian is about a heck of a lot more than our identity as the adopted children of God, as as co-heirs with Jesus to a heavenly inheritance. It's about so much more than that. Jesus is saying, let's go and do some stuff together. Let's live a life that's different from the life you used to have. In Ephesians 3, Paul calls us to live in the fullness of God. This is a call not just to know God in our hearts, but to push into experiencing the fullness of what it is to be a child of God. To hear his voice, to feel his breath upon us. No one is exempt. God's calling everyone to that. But like Elisha, there's often a battle when we hear the call of God in our lives. A battle for what's going to captivate our heart. What am I really going to give myself Fully to. The plough represented something that was holding Elisha back from pursuing the, 
the fullness of what God had for him. What in our lives this morning is holding us back? What in our hearts stops us from wholeheartedly pursuing God? What stops us from fully pressing in? Because it's different things for every one of you and me. What is it that's so important to us that it would give us a heavy heart if we think we need to change it or give it up despite God calling us? What's more important to you this morning than pursuing God? What is it that we struggle to let go of? The battle to get the whole of our hearts goes on in all of us. None of us is exempt. We're no different from Elisha. We may be following Jesus, but we know deep down that we're not pushing through into everything that God has for us. Things can come come into our lives and become idols. Things that become more important to us than God, that absorb our hearts and our imaginations more than God. What is it that you lie in bed and dream about in the small hours when you wake up? The truth is we might not have a plough and oxen to hold us back, but we can have emotional attachments to things that have the same effect. It might be the place your job has in your heart is more important than pursuing God. It might not be a matter of changing your job, but just readjusting your heart attitude towards it. It could be money, power, love, a hobby, or an emotion like fear. Whatever it is that stops you pursuing God is key. It takes radical action. Once the plough was set alight, there was no turning back. So God may be calling you to radical steps to make sure that nothing is holding you back from wholeheartedly pressing in and pursuing him for all that he has for you. We don't want to settle for having a mediocre faith, do we? So that might mean taking radical steps to readjust our hearts this morning. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to go through the motions in some sort of lukewarm, mediocre way. He calls us to something far greater. So Elisha went in a moment from begrudging obedience to excited, wholehearted passion. He went from having a heavy heart to seeing what a privilege it was that the God of creation was catching him up in his plans. He went from focusing on the loss of the oxen and the plough to the gain of following God in this amazing adventure. This adventure, when we pursue all that God has for us, is never going to disappoint us. Paul um, says in, in, in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him. Some stuff in our lives may have to be given up. Some perspectives that we hold dearly to might need to change. But key for knowing him, for going on an adventure with him, for having his spirit live within us, to see his kingdom advancing through us, to see lives transformed. Well, that's worth it, isn't it? That's worth a readjustment in our hearts. Sure, some things we hold on to dearly, we enjoy, they give us pleasure. But nothing like the extent of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. If we allow ourselves to be satisfied with nonsense, we're in trouble, aren't we? We've missed out. Christianity isn't about what we have to give up or do without. It's not the end of fun on earth while we wait for heaven. That's a lie. Don't believe in it. But sure, we do have choices. But in realising that, we gain everything when our perspective changes and we wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. You know the story of the rich young man? He comes to Jesus and he says, paraphrase, I see what you've been doing, the miracles, talking about heaven and eternity. I want some of that. I want to be with you. But Jesus sensed that something wasn't quite right with his heart and said, yeah, sure, you can have it. But first of all, go and give all your money away and sell your stuff. Then you can follow me. Now, that's not a story about when you become a Christian, you've got to become poor. It's a story about the need to be wholehearted for Jesus, for him to reign supreme in our hearts, for him to be the unrivaled number one in our hearts, not, not in the top three most important things in your life. That's not being wholehearted. It's about him being the number one. Don't be so attached to stuff, to things, to possessions, to money, to power, that we can never wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Elisha's second response was the right one. This is all rubbish in comparison with what I'm going to gain. The rich young man left Jesus sad because he got the maths wrong. He counted the loss. He missed the prize on offer. So am I going to follow God wholeheartedly? Am I going to pursue him and his purposes for me? Are you, this morning, the choice of what we do with our hearts is ours this morning? God says to us, Come with me, follow me. Let's go on an adventure together. Let's extend my kingdom together. Don't miss out on that because of a misplaced attachment in your hearts to things that are holding you back. Remember, nothing great is ever achieved without wholehearted enthusiasm. Our challenge is what is it that we're going to give our lives to? What is it that we're going to have wholehearted commitment to? How are we going to make a difference? Are we going to have families that grow up in the glory of God? Are we going to be ambassadors for Christ to those around us, seeing their lives changed? Wholehearted people change things wherever they go. 
we're called to the most glorious, most fulfilling adventure imaginable as we throw our lot in with Jesus and we wholeheartedly follow him. So, so let's respond and we're going to pray. Um, God's heart this morning, I'm sure, is to touch each one of us. He wants to see each one of us totally fulfilled and released in the very best that he has for us. So let's, let's expect perhaps the Holy Spirit, Spirit to prompt us about the stuff in our hearts that holds us back and that we can, we can find dragging us back rather than wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus. So as you stand and pray, I think the band are going to come back and um, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, Father God, I want to thank you for the truth of that scripture that we've just read and the story about Elisha and Elijah. Thank you for the wholehearted commitment that he had in leaving everything behind that distracted him from following you. And he pressed into the purposes that you had for him in this great adventure. And I pray for each one of us, Father God. I pray for each one of us right now that you would arrest our hearts, that you would catch us up in this great adventure that you call each one of us to, that we would wholeheartedly pursue you and your plans and your purposes for our lives, and we would allow nothing to hold us back. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever stuff in our lives holds us back, whether it's past experiences and emotions and fear, whether it's money and possessions, whether it's family or jobs. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning by your spirit, readjust our hearts, that our eyes are fixed on you and your glory and your majesty and all that you have for us as your children in this great adventure. Come upon us by your spirit and just do stuff in our hearts right now. Bring clarity to our minds and our hearts about those adjustments we need to make. Amen.